there's certain very important ideas which uh, I, I think people would find surprising. Uh, you know that these ideas would actually be uh, uh, happen at the time of the redemption, and I wanted to mention some of them because they are so unusual that most people would say, you know, I never heard of anything like this, you know. But but I think it's very important to know, you know, especially for those people who really want to understand, you know, what the gula is and what it, what it, it's uh, supposed to entail and, and so on, you know. <clears throat> um, now, one, one of the important ideas is that there's a very important pasuk in the Nitzavim, in Dvarim. And the, the, the Torah alludes to a, a very important idea. <clears throat> you know, most people think that the Gula, the redemption, you know, what's going to happen is uh, the Jews are going to get driven out of uh, the, the exile, right, wherever that is. And they're going to get driven out just like they were driven out in every exile, if you remember. You know, the Jews were thrown out of every country in Europe. You know, then they would have to run away, you know. Um, the, the classic one, of course, is Spain, where in 1492 they drove the Jews uh, out, either that or convert to Christianity. And, of course, the Jews left and they went to Turkey and to Israel and so on, you know. But so most people think that, well, that, that's, that's what happens. So what will happen is the Jews will be driven out and they're going to come to Eretz Israel, and over there the Rabbanu Shlom will, will come and the Gula in many ways will start in Eretz Israel. But, but the truth is that's not what happens. And as I, po- I will point out the proof of that is Egypt. The Rabbanu doesn't he's not going to have all the Jews run away and come to Israel, and at that point in Israel, he's going to, you know, appear, and the Mashiach ben Yosef will appear. It doesn't work that way, you know. <clears throat> uh, what what's going to happen? And, and the pasuk indicates that, you know, where, where God says, uh, even if your exiles are at the end of heaven, which is an interesting expression, actually. But even if they are at the end of heaven, Misham, from there, you see, even if your outcasts are all the way, spread all over the globe, actually, which is really what the situation is, Misham, from there, which means the end of heaven, Ikabetzcha, God will gather you. You see, in other words, the Gula happens in the exile itself. It's a very important idea. That's where it begins. Not that you have to leave the exile, run away, and then come to Israel, and then Mashiach ben Yosef comes uh, in, in Israel. No. Mashiach ben Yosef will appear in the exile itself. <clears throat> this is what we see. And uh, <clears throat> the concept of that is that uh, the Mashiach ben Yosef is born... And he, in many ways, lives in the exile itself. So, since the last exile is called Edom, which today, of course, is America, that's the main, the main Edom, therefore, Mashiach ben Yosef lives in America, and he will come 
or begin his actions of uh, Gula from America. Now we see that from a Gemara, where the Gemara says, the Gemara is, says that there was somebody talking to Eliyahu Anovi. And um, he asked them, you know, um, when is the Mashiach coming? So he mentioned to them, why don't you go and ask him? Really? So the Gemara says that he was Alpischi Roimi. He was at the gates of Rome. That's where the Mashiach is. Now, Rome, of course, is Edoim. And in many ways, the gates of Rome, of course, is uh, in a certain sense. Probably New York, it's a port city. Why? Because the Mashiach is born and lives in the very country that he will overthrow. That he will, you know, in, in many ways take the Jews out of. So that's an important idea, you see. That the Mashiach when you're saved actually takes the Jews out of the exile. Not that they have to come out of an exile to Eretz Israel and all of a sudden he's there. No. He's the one who actually leads the people out of the exile itself. <clears throat> you see. And what is interesting is Yikabetzcho means God will gather you, all the outcasts. And that means God will gather, means you're not going to have a choice. God is going to come in, so to speak, by, you know, and force every Jew out of America. And that's certainly one of the places. You know, so that means that they will be compelled to leave. We're not looking here at, at a choice, because remember, we are now looking at the concept of bi'itoi, not bi'achisheno, that the Mashiach comes not because, the, um, because of the merit of the Jews. He comes because the Jews have done the tikkun in that sense, <clears throat> you see, and he comes because that is the last possible moment that he will come. <clears throat> and that is the time that God swore that he would bring the Mashiach, he would bring the redemption itself. So that's really what we're waiting for. Now, what is Yikabetzcho, God will gather you? Because it says two different expressions. One expression is Yikabetzcho, he will gather you. And then it says uh, again, and from there, which means in the exile, he will take you. So obviously there's two concepts here. One is that the Jews have to be gathered, and the second is that the Jews have to be taken to God. What's the difference? Because really there are two actions that are required. One is that the Jews have to be separated from the exile. You see, you know, something has to happen to the Jews where they are actually separated from wherever they are. And then once that they are separated, then God will take them. And the concept of Yikach, he will acquire them, is like when a man marries a woman, it says, Kiyikach ish isho, when a man will take a wife, a woman, right? So the, the, the Torah uses the expression Yikach, he will take. In other words, it's called a zivug. There's what's called a reunification. That's really what it is. That's what a zivug is. Man takes a woman and there's a reunification that takes place. So therefore, the second expression of yikochecho, 
means that God will take them to reunify with them. That means that the Jews will experience a tremendous aliyah, a tremendous uh, elevation of tremendous spirituality. So yikabetzcho means he will gather you, which means he will separate you from the exile itself, and you will then be restored to being a distinct nation. And then the second thing is that God will now unite with the Jews and give them an unbelievable elevation of Kiddushah, of holiness. And then they will all leave. So what we see from this Pasuk is that in the exile itself, really, is the way that the Jews are redeemed. Which is important. A lot of people think, well, the redemption will start in a certain sense in Israel. But really the redemption starts really in Edom, especially the Toiv Sheba Edom, the good part of Edom, as we will see. That's where it starts. You see? So that Pasuk is very, very revealing in terms of what God will do and also where the redemption will start. You see? So you don't have to take a ticket to Israel. You don't have to travel there. If you stay in America itself, you will experience the redemption itself. But that, whatever happens will be so compelling that all the Jews will leave. It's not a matter of somebody saying, well, I want to stick around. No, that won't be an option. That's what Yikabetzcho means. He will gather you. Or he will take you. You see? So this is a very important idea that it happens in the exile itself. You see? Now, a second very important idea, which most people never heard of, you know, is that, wait a minute, uh, God is not going to enter America, so to speak, you know, and yank the Jews out. Because what he wants the Jews is, in a certain sense, to be elevated, to be holy, you see. And as a result of that, they will then be on a much greater level to receive the Mashiach ben Yosef. Because I once mentioned a very important idea. People think that the Mashiach ben Yosef, well, actually there are two, there are two what's called periods of time in the life of Mashiach ben Yosef. One is what's called Kilkuloi, that the Mashiach ben Yosef is in a state where he's degraded. And that's part of the Yisurin, the suffering of the Mashiach himself. That he's degraded in the sense that he's an individual <clears throat> that has incredible spiritual potential. But all of it is blocked. And he realizes that there's something wrong. Because he sees other people as being successful in their spirituality. But he himself cannot. And that produces an enormous amount of suffering. And that suffering that he experiences, which is called Bilkilkuloi, in his degradation, is part of the kapara, the atonement that the Jews need in order to uh, uh, leave the exile, you see. So that's the first tikufa, the first period of time, or let's say stage one, in the life of Mashiach ben Yosef a stage in which he is 
in, in a certain figurative sense, he's a prisoner because he cannot uh, ex- he cannot expand, extend, or actualize his potential. Then he goes to a second stage where he is released from that prison, which means that whatever is keeping him bound and ends. And then what happens is that he now can begin to grow. And he receives a tremendous siyate dishmaya, tremendous uh, divine assistance to grow. And because of that, he's able to grow to an unbelievable level. And um, the level is, the Midrash says, what the level is. Because it says in the Pasuk, in, in the Yeshaya, Hine Yaskal Avdi, behold, my servant will grow wise. And then it has three expressions of growth. Viorum, Veniso, Vigovami Oid. So the Midrash asks, uh, you know, why are there three? But the question is, what does it mean my servant will grow wise? And what that really means is the Targum says, Malka Mashiacho. That refers to the Mashiach himself. And grow wise is a very important idea, you see. Yaskil, Haskala, which means uh, intellectualism or wisdom. Because the essential prisoner, which is a very important idea, the essential prison that the Mashiach bin Yosef has, and the reason why he cannot grow in holiness is because he is limited intellectually. That means he, in many ways, he cannot learn Torah. It's very difficult for him to learn Torah. And there's reasons for that. But the, the fact that he remains tremendously ignorant is the essential, the essential idea of what he goes through, his suffering. That's why it says, Hine yaskil abdi, my servant will grow wise. It doesn't say, behold, my servant will become holy. Right? That's what you would think. But it says that he will grow wise because all of a sudden from somebody who had tremendous difficulties in learning uh, and therefore growing through Torah, he will all of a sudden be freed from those impediments to know, to learn, and he will be able to grow tremendously and be incredibly successful in Haskalah, which is uh, knowledge, you see. So that's a very important idea. Now, since he grows in knowledge, right? So the Midrash says, how great will his growth be? You know, what do, what do we mean when he's freed from prisons? Like the door opens in a prison cell. And the, the door opens and he can walk out. <clears throat> you see. And that is called the Pikida. When the Mashiach ben Yosef is released from his bondage to ignorance. That is the Pekida. But then the next stage, is, you know, is where he grows. And the Midrash says three, there are three expressions in the Pasuk, in Yeshaya, Yeshaya, Anavi. So the Midrash asks, well, what are these stages of growth? So the Midrash says that the first expression, Vayorum, right, and he will be exalted, says that he will grow where he will be greater 
in Torah than Avraham Ovino, than Abraham. Now, we don't even know what Avraham Ovino was. Obviously, he was incredible, you know. But the Mashiach ben Yosef, and that's really who it's referring to, will be greater than Avraham Ovino. Can you imagine what that is? Imagine being in the same room as Avraham Ovino. But then the Midrash says, what about the second expression? Veniso, and he will be lifted. So the Midrash says something which is very hard to believe, that he will be greater in knowledge and therefore holiness than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now Moshe Rabbeinu is unique. We have no idea of what this person was. You know, Chazal describe him as Chatzish, Chatzilukim. He's like a half man, half God, half divine. We have no idea. You know, when he came down from Sinai, his face shone. You couldn't even look at his face. Because that was the incredible Kiddushah, right? That emanated from his head. So we're looking here again at the concept of Chokhmah, you know, the knowledge. Because Moshe Rabbeinu at that point in time almost was Mashiach ben Yosef. He wasn't because Klai Yisrael, Jewish people, sinned at the golden calf. But notwithstanding that, he had achieved an unbelievable knowledge and therefore a tremendous holiness, you see. So therefore, the Midrash says that the second expression of growth, Veniso, means that the Mashiach ben Yosef will be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now we can obviously not comprehend what that means. We, we could understand what that means even. You know. Then the Midrash says, well what about the last expression? Rabbi, where it says... Louder, please. Say that again? Talk louder. I should talk louder? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> where he will say... Uh, so the third expression, where he will be, um, uh, the third, uh, third growth expression. So the Midrash says that, what does that mean? And that is that he will be greater than the Malochim, than angels. So it's astounding to mean that you're going to watch a person who is a human being, that actually comes across is greater than an angel. You imagine? You imagine seeing Gavriel Hamalach, right? Or Michoel or Rafael or any of these Malachim. You you have no, it would be unbelievable, astounding. You know? So could you imagine seeing a human being that is greater than the angel angels themselves? But in any case, the main idea is that the Mashiach ben Yosef will be an individual <clears throat> that will have achieved a height of all these individuals. Now, the problem then is, is that he's coming to a land, right, let's say America, where nobody knows anything. Everything's, everybody's gone. 11 million Jews are gone. They don't do mitzvot. Many of them don't even know they're Jews. You know? 
And the assimilation rate is terrible. And the intermarriage, one out of eight, eight out of ten Jews in America are intermarried. You see? So how can you take this type of person, right, and bring him to a country like America, where everybody is basically in the memtet share tumah? That's really what America is. America has now become the land of the 49 levels of immorality and tumah. And America is fundamentally a land of several characteristics, which makes it a land of uh, 49 levels of tumah, defilement. The first idea is America has now become a country which is completely accessible to homosexuality, same-sex marriages, and so on. There's no, there's no care anymore. In fact, they've even done away with the concept of a biological sex. And now you decide what you would like to be. You see? You want to be a man? No problem. You want to be a woman? No problem. So America has completely divorced itself from the natural being that man is. And it has now engaged in that which, according to the Torah, is death, you see? So we're talking about complete immorality in America. The second thing America, characteristic, which is again Tum'ah, is the concept that America is steeped in materialism and pleasure. Basically, that's what American is all about, how to get ahead in life, how to make as much money as possible, how to live a good life, and so on. So when you look at it, how much spirituality is really in America? Very little. So what America has become in many ways is what Egypt was. Egypt was also memtet shari tumah. But Egypt was known as a tremendously immoral place. You know? And Egypt was the, probably the greatest nation on earth in terms of their, uh, their uh, immersion in materialism. So that's what America is. So could you imagine this individual, Mashiach Ben Yosef? It comes to the Jews... And the Jews are like a million miles away from any type of spirituality. Well, guess what? Really, God will not allow that. He won't allow a person of this stature to come to his people, his children, in such a degraded state. You see? So, what God is going to try to do is elevate them before either before the Mashiach comes, but certainly while the Mashiach is basically in stage one, which means that the Mashiach himself, even if he's released, but he's no more, he's, he's not anywhere near what he will event, eventually become. You see. So it comes out that the Mashiach bin Yosef, even after he's released, which is really Aschalte de Gula, that is the beginning of redemption. But he himself will be, you know, even if he looks extraordinary in a certain sense, but he's not that, he's not that different than the average person. Because he himself has to grow. So in that situation, he will have to elevate the Jews in America. The question is, how do you really do it?
you know. So it's unknown exactly how that will happen, you see. But it is known in what way it will happen. And we find that in a very peculiar midrash, you know. And when you look at it, like most people would say to themselves, huh, what is this supposed to mean? Anyway, there's a midrash, midrash rabbo, it's in Pasha's Tzav, in the third section. Here's what it says. Omar Rabbi Huna, that Rabbi Huna says the following. Ein hagluyot halolu mitkansot. These various exiles will not be gathered, which obviously means the redemption. Elo, only if something else happens. What is it? Bishvil Mishnayot. Because of the learning of Mishnayot. That's incredible. You know? Doesn't even say Gemara. <clears throat> you know? What it's saying in a certain sense is that it is Mishnayot. The learning of Mishnayot that will be the merit that will allow the Jews to gather and leave the exile. And by the way, mitkansot means to be gathered. That's the same concept, yikabetzcho. They will be gathered. You see? So the question is, what does this mean? What does it mean that in order for the Jews to leave exile, right, they have to engage in the study of Mishnayot? It's an incredible concept. You see? <clears throat> now, I can understand, fine. You know, God... You know, he wants them to be tamidi chachamim. At least they'll be elevated in terms of knowing Torah. And then the Mashiach can begin with these people to grow. However, what is the meaning of Mishnayot? And the Midrash says something over there, which is very important. There are two types of mitzvot. One is a mitzvah that you get reward. For instance, if you observe Shabbat, then you are rewarded for observing Shabbat, right? If you put a mezuzah on your door, then you are re rewarded for the performance of putting a mezuzah on the door. Fine. That's one type of mitzvah. Where the reward is a certain type of performance, you see. And remember one thing, is that when you perform a mitzvah, that mitzvah, is connected to a sphera, a divine energy, a divine force, you see. And when you do a mitzvah, then the enlightenment or the illumination, which is probably a better word, then the illumination of that force, right, is revealed to you. But not at the moment that you do the mitzvah, because the Zoyama prevents it. But in the future... When the Mashiach will come, all the mitzvot that you did, performed, the illumination of all the different svirot that you did by doing the mitzvah, they will all be revealed to you. That's a very important idea. So when you perform a mitzvah, what happens is, is that you will be privy to the illumination that that mitzvah does or connects or triggers in the Svirot themselves. 
So therefore, that's one type of mitzvah. But there's a second type of mitzvah. What is that? That is learning Torah. Exactly. Now, when a person learns Torah, right, that is a mitzvah. So not only is he acquiring knowledge, right, but the acquisition of knowledge itself is a mitzvah. Fine. <clears throat> but the Midrash says something very interesting. It says that when you learn Torah, not only is the learning of the Torah, the performance, which is learning the Torah, not only does that happen, but what is amazing is that the subject matter that you are learning about automatically will give you the same illumination as if you had done the mitzvah itself. Therefore, imagine you're learning Shabbat, right? So you're learning all about what's permitted on Shabbat, what's not permitted, Kiddush, everything, right? So therefore, you get a mitzvah of Talmud Torah, which is you are learning the Torah, you see? But besides that, learning Torah has a second dimension. What is the second dimension? The second dimension is that God will consider it as if you are observing the Shabbat, even though you are not doing that, you're just learning about Shabbat, you see? So therefore, to learn, about, to learn Torah about any mitzvah is not only considered as doing the mitzvah of learning Torah, but it's also considered doing the mitzvah that you're learning about, you see? That's a very unusual idea. But I'll tell you something interesting. Because of that, it is now possible to fulfill the entire Torah. For instance, the Midrash says that God says to Avraham Avinu, by the covenant between the pieces, when he made the agreement. So he said, because you made the agreement with me, I'm going to give the Jewish people, your descendants, a mitzvah of kochim. Korbanot, sacrifices. That's the whole concept of the Beit HaMikdash, where you bring different sacrifices, you see? So I'm going to give them that as a reward for what you have done. So Avram Avinu says, he says, wait a minute, that's great, but that's only as good as the Beit HaMikdash standing. But what happens after the Khurban? after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, right? So obviously, if the Beit HaMikdash is not standing, so that's the end of the mitzvah, of Kochim, of Korbanot, right? And he's right, Avram Avinu. There are many mitzvot today which are not applicable. All the mitzvot of Tumavatara, you know, of impurities, it's gone. All the Beit HaMikdash mitzvot are gone. You see? So how do you get them if they're no longer present? So God says something fascinating. He said that when they learn about Korbanot, even after the Churban, I will consider it as if the learning itself is as if they had done the Korbanot. So God says when they learn about Chatat, the Chatos, a korban chatos, which is a sin offering, which you bring if you did a sin in which you did it inadvertently, right? 
Whereas if you've done it b'mezid, you'd be chayav chorus. So the Torah says you have to bring a chatos. So God says that if they learn about the korban chatos, I will consider it, by the way, as if they had brought a chatos, which is incredible, you see. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why a person should learn all about kachim or the Beit HaMikdash and the, and the sacrifices. Because that's how you can actually consider it. It's actually considered as if what? As if you had brought the korbanot. It's amazing. So in the end of time, you won't have to bring the chatas for all the sins you've done. You see? What will happen is, because you've learned kachim, right? God will consider it as if you actually brought a chatas. And by the way, that is the reason why in the beginning of Shachrit, we say the Avoido, which is the Korbonus. If you ever notice, right? In the beginning of Shachrit, you have the whole section of Korbonus. Why? Because by saying it, and therefore reading it, and learning it as you say it, it is considered as if you had brought all the sacrifices that you have to bring. You see? So God says that to Avram Avinu. Therefore, this Midrash says, shows you that this is an incredible dimension of learning Torah. That learning Torah, right, not only does it give you the midst of learning the Torah, but it also gives you the midst of doing the Torah just by learning. It comes out that if you learn the entire Torah, it will be considered as if you have done the entire Torah. Now, where is the entire Torah? And the answer is the Mishnayot. Because the Mishnah is the oral law. The totality of the Mishnah is the oral law. Is the Torah Shabbat There is Torah Shabbat which is the written Torah, which of course is the Chumash. But what there also is, is the oral Torah. Now, as we know that there are thousands of details that are not in the written law, but they're all part of the oral law, which is the Mishnayot and the Gemara. You see? So it comes out an incredible thing. That by learning all the Mishnayot, it is considered as if you would have done the totality of the Mishnayot, which is the totality of the Taryag Mitzvot. Right? The 613 commandments. Because that's really what the Mishnayot deal with. You see? And therefore, if that's the case, then that's what they mean. That God wants to elevate the Jews before the Mashiach ben Yosef comes in his stage two level. But how? Everybody else on? Hello? Yeah. Continue, continue. So, so what we see is how God is going to do it. What he is going to do is allow the people, the Jews, to learn the Mishnayot. And through that, they will want, at once be given the reward of learning Torah. And at the same time, they will be given the reward of doing the mitzvot itself. You see, therefore, they would have elevated themselves through the Mishnayot, and because of that, they will now be elevated, and because of that, then the Gula, the redemption, can actually start.
You see the logic. You see how it works. You see? Now you understand why the, you need the merit of Mishnayot in order, to be exile, in order to relieve the exile, in order for the redemption to happen. Because that's basically the only way that you can learn the entire Torah. And not only that, but it will also be considered as if you had performed 613 commandments. So we now see an amazing thing. We see how God is going to elevate the Jews at the end of time. will allow the Jews not only to know the Torah and therefore to receive the reward of Limud Torah, but also to have done the Torah. So it's amazing that there is actually a way without doing the mitzvot in a certain sense that you can actually be considered as if you would have observed and fulfilled the entire Torah. That's what this Midrash really is alluding to, which is a very important idea. <clears throat> now, most people would say, wait a minute, but Mishnayot, there's a lot of Mishnayot. Do you know how many Mishnayot there are? There's 4,192 Mishnayot in the entire Shas, which means the entire Gemara. The average amount of halachot in each Mishnah, because a Mishnah is basically a paragraph of halachot. It's a collection of halachos uh, arranged in a paragraph. The average Mishnah has approximately about eight halachot for each Mishnah. Well, think about that. If there are 4,192 Mishnayot, and each one has eight halachot, so eight times 4,192 Mishnayot, it gives you an enormous amount. It gives you almost, let's say, about 33,000 halachot. You see? So you may ask, wait a minute, how in the world can anybody learn, certainly in a short amount of time, of the redemption. We're not talking here about years. But how could they learn all Mishnayot so quickly? Now, you have to remember one thing also. A Mishnah <coughs> is an abridged version of Halachot. Because Rebbe wrote, not a textbook, but he wrote a record of the oral law. So, because there was no printing, remember, printing was discovered, I think, in 1350 by Gutenberg. <clears throat> but before that, there were ve books were a very rare item. Why? Because in order to have a book, you'd have to have what's called a manuscript. You would have to write it out. Well, how many times can people write out? You know, today, you can publish books by the millions. You see? In those days... Before the printing press was invented, obviously, you know, you, how many books can there be? How many sets of Mishnayot can there be if you couldn't print? Because there was no printing. And the answer is not many. Therefore, what Rebbe had to do was what? He had to con condense the Mishnayot. So he had to leave out an enormous amount of material. You see, 
So could you imagine if Rebbe put in Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, who wrote the Mishnayot, imagine if he filled out all the halachot that were necessary, you know, the background information, all the necessary information of each Mishnah, you know, there wouldn't be 4,192 Mishnayas. There would be probably close to a half a million. If that was the case, there would be only one set in existence, which obviously cannot be. So therefore, he abridged the Mishnah, you see. So therefore, the Mishnayas really have over 100,000 different Yediot, over 100,000 halachot in the Mishnah. Even though what's written down, right, is only, uh, four, uh, is only about 33,000 halachot. But really the Mishnah, when you add everything that's left out, because there was no printing, uh, you're looking at over 100,000, maybe even 200,000 halachot. That's an enormous amount of material that's missing. So the question then is, of course, then how do, do people learn the Mishnayot? It would seem that it would take years to go through it, you know. But there is a way which is very interesting. And I discovered this way many years ago. It's called a map. What is a map? A map is a, uh, you know, is a, let's say a, a document in which you have geographical points. Let's say you have a map of uh, New Jersey, right? So it has all the geographical points of New Jersey, right? But it also reveals not only the geographical points, you know, a river, uh, a street, a neighborhood, a city, and so on, a town, but it also reveals the relationship between the points. And, the, and that is called distance. But it also reveals a third idea, which is called, not just distance, but orientation. Is it north, south, east, or west of any given point? So when you look at a map, it's amazing how much information is, con is contained in a map. But you can actually study a map because it's all incredibly organized. You see... <clears throat> So it's possible to learn a map because it's so super organized. Even though it has so many different pieces of information, you can go much quicker, you see. You know, I was once on the subway in, in, in uh, New York, you know, and, you know, every subway car has a map of the entire subway system. And I don't know if you know it, but there's over 550 subways, uh, st uh, subways st uh, stops stations. Imagine 550 subway stations in the subway system of New York. And I was looking at the map and I said to myself, this is amazing that they were able to put 550 stations. And besides that, all the tracks that lead from one station to another into one piece of paper that was basically three feet by four feet. That's amazing. In other words, they were able to put all the entire subway system in one piece of paper. Why? Because the secret is organization. 
structure where you could see the relationship that every station has to every other one. You see? All the different stops, the streets, and so on. Uh, so a map is a secret instrument because it's able to organize material, thousands of pieces of information, into one diagram, one piece of paper. And not only that, once you have it all organized in one piece of paper, you could study the whole map. It doesn't take that long. That means you could study the entire subway system in a week. But if that map was given to you, not as a map, but as pieces of a puzzle, right, it would take you much longer to figure it out because you have what's called a fragmented view. Imagine I give you a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, just pieces, and I say to you, put it together. What's the first thing you're going to ask me for? You're going to ask me for a box. Where's the box? Why? Because the box has the picture of the entire puzzle. Well, a, 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 the box, the picture on the box is really a map. But it's a map of a picture as opposed to, let's say, uh, a, a geographical points. You see? But because once you see the map, which is the totality of the structure, you're able to put it together very quickly. Same idea. If you put ideas together in a map where you show the relationship of one idea to the other, you can learn all the ideas in an incredibly short amount of time. So therefore, it's possible that if you take the Mishnayot and organize it as maps, takes each Masechta, let's say Masechta Brachot, right? Then you could learn all the information in Brachot. You could learn it in a very short amount of time. Because it's not being presented to you as pieces or fragments. It's being presented to you as a totality. So you see the scope and the landscape. Imagine you climb Mount Everest, you see, that from Mount Everest, which is 29,000 feet, you could look down into the valley and see everything. Because from your perspective, you're on top of everything. So you're able to see all the hills, the valleys, you know, the towns, everything from that vantage point. That's the concept of a map where everything is organized, structured. So the truth is, there exists a way to do this, you see. And therefore, what is surprising is that if you learned Mishnayis, which is what the Midrash says, you could finish the totality of the oral law, which is over 100,000 halachot. You could learn probably the whole thing in two years. Instead of learning it in 20, you could learn it in two. You see? So that's a concept which I'm introducing, that information itself can be super organized. In fact, it could take anybody, actually and make them into a massive Tamit Chacham through the Mishnayot organized as a Mishnaic map that would revolutionize Torah education because it would make any kid a master of the oral law in two years. Anyway, uh, so therefore we see a new idea that God wants to elevate the Jews and the way he's going to do it 
is by actually introducing them to Mishnayot. And once they are elevated, then they will be on the spiritual level that they can be redeemed. You see? So these are very important ideas because they describe in detail what is going to happen in America or perhaps even in Europe. You see? And what the details or what are the steps in the redemption itself? You see? And I will continue next week further. Okay, any questions? Uh, I have a question, Rabbi. Sure. So I heard in another class that you yourself are working on these maps. Is that true? Yes. Ah, I knew it. God bless. Thank God. So how, yes. uh, so Beautiful. How how are you planning to distribute math? Well, that's a very good question. But, uh, you know, it, it, when, when eventually when it can be completed, whatever, it would, take, uh, it would be interesting to open up a yeshiva. I want to send my kids uh, to <laughs> Yeah, in, in other words, because what it means is this. See, the problem is, I just have to the problem is that what is Gemara? Gemara is an advanced text that deals with advanced halachas and its problems, problem solving. That's what the Gemara is about. Hello? Continue. Yeah, it takes a problem, let's say a contradiction between two Mishnayot, and it tries to solve it. That's called a sugya. Uh, the problem is, is that before you learn the Gemara, you really have to have a massive database of information. Because what you're really learning is advanced material. You see, <clears throat> the problem is that the study of Mishnayot is hardly taught. It's taught for one year to basically nine-year-old kids. And then after that, it's all Gemara. <clears throat> now, that would be fine if a person was prepared to learn an advanced text. But the problem is most kids are not prepared. And as a result of that, because how much Mishnah do they learn? Maybe they're lucky if they learn one Mesechta, you see? But they don't learn the 4,192 Mishnahs. But if they did, they would be awesome. You know, let me tell you an interesting story, okay? You heard of Pesach Kron? What was that? He's a rabbi. Yeah, he go, he, you know, he's a speaker, right? Anyway, so he once wrote a fascinating story. He said, this is many, many years ago. He said that, he, you know, he's a mohel. You know, he's a mohel. So he wanted to meet Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, who's one of the gedolim uh, in America, you know, in the uh, 60s and 70s and 80s and so on. He was one of the gedolim. But anyway... And he wanted to ask him different questions about uh, Mila, about circumcision. Any case, now he also wanted to ask him something else. He said he had a sister who was in Shiduchim. So he wanted to ask Rabbi Yaakov, who was a Rosh Hashiva, by the way, of Torah Vedas, you know. And he wanted to ask him if he knows, if he has a good guy for his sister. You see? So he met him, 
and he spoke to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, a very famous person, and he talked to him about halachot and milah, circumcision, and so on. Uh, then he asked him, by the way, I have a sister that is looking for a good shidduch. Can you recommend a great guy? That's what he, uh, which obviously meant in Torvadas. So that's what he asked Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. So Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky answered him. He said, you know, it's too bad, but the person that I could have recommended just got engaged. He's a top guy, but he just got engaged. So obviously it's too late. <coughs> so Pesach Kron writes the following. He said to Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, he said, okay, I understand. Look, you know, whoever the guy is and so on, you know. But why do you call him the top guy? In other words, what about him, this Bachor, Bachor, that you consider the top guy? It's a very interesting question. Because he wanted to know, what does Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky consider a top guy? Very important idea. So what did Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky tell him? An incredible concept, which you will instantly understand after I spoke about it. He said, I'll tell you, this guy who is a top guy in the yeshiva, and he was young, because obviously now he's 1920, uh, but when he was young, his father learned with him, this child, the entire Shisha Sidre Mishnah, the entire Mishnayot, all 4,000 192 Mishnayot. And this guy remembered it because he reviewed it many times. And therefore, that gave him an unbelievable edge above all the other guys. You hear what he said? Hmm? What he was saying, Rabbi Yaakov, is a very important idea. That in order to be successful, you have to have sequence, preparation. You cannot learn advanced material before you learn the basic information. And even if you have the basic information, you have to accumulate a tremendous amount of it. You see? Look, if somebody wants to go, let's say, uh, for engineering, you can't take courses or read journals in engineering. You need to learn the basics of physics and mathematics and maybe chemistry. You have to learn the basics first. Once you have the basics, then you can go into the advanced textbooks. You see? It's like a guy, imagine a guy wants to go to law school, but he doesn't have the money, and law school is three years. So what he does is he somehow gets his way into third-year law school. So he skipped two years. So he, goes to, he gets into third-year law school, and the professor gives a quiz let's say at the end of two weeks. And the guy takes the quiz and he gets a five, which is terrible. So he goes over to the professor and says to him, I don't understand, I studied for this test. Why did I get a five? So the professor looks at him and says, that's, you're right, that's odd. How did you do in the first two years of law school? Because law school is three years and he was in the third year. So the guy says, what? I never went to the first two years of law school. So the professor looks at him and says, are you crazy? You need, an, uh, you need the preparation. You need the basic information first. Third year law school is advanced. 
That's why you've got a five. One of the main reasons why people who go to a yeshiva find it so difficult is because they are totally unprepared with a basic database of knowledge. Where do you find this database? You find this database in the Mishnah. And that's why it says in Pirkei Avot, Perikei, I think it's Mishnah Chofalaf. It says, Ben Chomesh Lemikro, that at five years old you learn Tanakh, Ben Esel Mishnah, and then at ten years old you learn Mishnah, and then Chamesh Esrei, and then at fifteen years old, that's when you learn Gemara. What the Mishnah is saying is that uh, if you want to be successful, there's a sequence. You need to learn the basic information first, then you can learn the advanced material. And therefore, that is what's lacking. You know, that's why it would be great in many ways to have a yeshiva that would, be, that would emphasize the learning totally of Mishnayot, Bi'iyun, in depth, not superficially. And meanwhile, you could also learn Gemara. Uh, but there has to be a seder, there has to be a time period in the yeshiva which is dedicated to learning the database, the totality of Torah Shabbat Peh, oral law, which is the Mishnayot. And remember that in two years, using these types of maps, you can create a massive Talmud Chochem in two years. And he would know over 100,000 Halachot. Could you imagine learning Gemara after he knows this? You see? So that's basically what it is. There is a way to master the entire oral law. And based on this Midrash, to learn it that way is not only to learn it, but it also means to do it based on this Midrash, that learning Mishnah is not only learning it, it's also doing so the secret of somebody becoming an incredible Talmud Chochem, the secret of real success in being a Talmud Chochem, is to learn the Mishnah, the Eon, in depth, first. And with a Mishnahic map, all it would take is two years. What's two years? In a, in a, in a, imagine a guy goes to high school, so at the age of 13 and 14, he finishes the whole Mishnayot. And then right then and there, he's a massive Talmud Chacham. You see? You anyway. Cool. What was that? Why aren't you spreading this to the yeshiva? Well, that's a good question. So because why they don't... Why is it limited well, to only opening one yeshiva? Why not putting it into pub- publications and go to Art Scroll? Like very good. That's excellent. My intent is, once it's complete, is to disseminate it, not only uh, in yeshivot, but to disseminate it on the internet, on the uh, online. One guy can get online and teach a million people at one time. You see? Yeah. Sure. But the beauty of it is that something which is organized in a structure, like I demonstrated with a subway map, can learn something in tremendous speed because it's so beautifully organized. You see? So that's why it would only take about two years. So could you imagine if this type of curriculum was available on the Internet, online, you know, or uh, one person can go to a city 
and teach Hilchot Shabbat in one month, right? And you could send a, a whole group of a whole a group of fifty people to different places, and they could teach in real time, you know, in, 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 in live, you know, because then you can ask questions and so on. Yeah, in many ways it would revolutionize Torah, but what it would also do interesting. If he finished making it. Well, it takes time because there's an enormous amount of thinking. But imagine about tshuva. We know that somebody who does tshuva and he wants to you know, become a bal tshuva, basically he can never overcome the fact that he'd, he spent so many years not learning. So really, anybody who's a bal tshuva is doomed, basically, to be an amhoretz. Because he can't, how much time can he put into it? You see? He's got to spend time with his wife, his family, his job, you know, and everything else that's going on in his life. He can't sit down for 35 years, right, and, and sit and begin to learn. Because right now it takes 35 years to know your stuff. Even though Dafyomi takes seven and a half, but they don't know it after they finish. How could you know anything when you learn a blot in 45 minutes? So to real, tremendous time at takes 30, 35 years. You see? But what happens if it could be done in two years? Imagine what that would mean. So this type of curriculum could be taught in real life by having people go and teach it in many shuls, synagogues, and yeshivot, but also balei tshuva. That means you could take a bal tshuva who knows nothing, and he's 30 years old, and he could become an incredible tamad chochem, not in 35 years, but in two and there are hundreds of thousands of Bali Tshuva, you know, who are in many ways doomed to be an Amoritz because they can never put in the time that it takes going the standard way. But the real way to do it is not the standard way. It's to acquire a massive database of the entire oral law, you see? And that's the Mishnayot, taught in depth. That means all the, imagine... Uh, you know, all the yeshivot that deal with Bali Tshuva, and there are many of them, you know, in Israel, Lev Laachim, uh, you know, and, and so on. Imagine if every one Bal Tshuva, and there are hundreds of thousands of Bali Tshuva, each one can now become a massive Tamad Chacham in two years. That's all it would take. So in any case, that's... Rabbi, what was that? You think that this map that you're doing could probably Hashem, I mean I hope so no could, this could be the thing that Hashem was talking about that we need to learn the Mishnah but this is what it is what you're saying what? because how could we learn all the Mishnah and elevate ourselves by the time Mashiach comes it's, it's impossible for all you know, of us to do that what you're saying is very interesting you know it's hard look that would that would if that was true that would assign me a role in the actual messianic process that's why i keep and saying you mashiach ben yosef you know no 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 i don't say that but it's it's very hard to believe that that could be a, a role but with even without that i mean the fact that you have a midrash that says mishnayot is really uncanny i mean i was shocked when i saw that midrash you can imagine, you know, because he actually ties the Gula to Mishnayot, which is unheard of. 
you see. But, you know, listen, you know, right now I don't think in those terms. I think only in terms that it would make a tremendous amount of Jews in such a short amount of time a massive Talmud Chochem. That's what it would do. any of them already? What was that? Did you complete any of the Masechot? Well, there are different Masechot in different stages. Finish any? What was that? Did you do any already that you could start spreading the word of the Lord? Word of the Lord, that's interesting. Um, 1-11. Yeah, well, it's hard to say because, you know, I, I try to make sure that it's really perfect in a certain sense. You know, that it will deliver what it says, because I only have one chance to demonstrate. Uh, but, but the key idea is that uh, this is a way that today's time, you know, an average kid could become an unbelievable Talmud Chacham. Because he would know in two years over 100,000 Yediot HaTorah. Could you imagine what that would mean? Imagine your kid comes home, right? And he could rattle off 4,100 right, and 92 Mishnayot, over 100,000 halachot he could rattle off. The beauty of a map, by the way, is that it's visual, and the mind loves to know visual information, because that's the greatest thing that the mind wants. It wants to see a picture, and it remembers something arranged in a picture much greater, you see, uh, than if it was just words, audio, you see. Uh, so in any case, this is uh, this something. This this idea is certainly Mishnaic maps uh, of the entire Mishnayot would, would certainly be seem to be a viable method that could do tremendous to yeshivas or balei tshuva or there's so many different things that it could do. It's unbelievable. You know. Yeah, Rabbi, I think this is something big. Yes, probably. Very proud to know you. Well, whatever. But I, I, I believe it. Because we are losing Jews left and right. We are losing them. Because most people, many people, when they learn Gemara, they fail. Because they don't realize they're learning an advanced text before knowing the database or the introductory ideas that you have to know. It's like any Chochmah. You cannot read a journal in cardiology if you don't know anything in medicine. Look, you know, to go to medical school, first you learn anatomy and then physiology and pathology and so on. And then only later can you go into a hospital and take a look at the patients. You have to know something, you see. And you can't learn advanced material first because it assumes that you have learned a massive database first. And besides, the Gemara is fragmented which is an entirely different discussion, which makes it much more difficult, you see. Just remember the story with Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky. That's why this kid who got, who got engaged, he was a top guy in yeshiva, because his father taught him the entire 4,192 Mishnahis. So Rabbi Yaakov said that this gave him an unbelievable advantage over everybody else. Because anywhere that he would learn in Shas, he knew. He knew the underlying ideas of everything. Isn't that amazing? Right now the shuls are having every night the 
men of all ages to come and learn Gemara. This would be ideal for them to learn this. Yes, this would be, yeah. Yeah. Look, Gemara is obviously extremely important, no question. But there's a concept called sequence, and that's what we see. The problem is that the sequence, nobody is observing the sequence. You cannot learn advanced material before you know the preparation or the basic core information. How could you do that? You see? That's elementary, as they say. You know? But that's what happens. So the, pro- the problem is, it's, you, you can learn Gemara, but it has to have what's called preparation. You see? And even if you want to learn Gemara, you have to have a specific time period set aside where you will learn the entire Torah. All of it. The Torah Shabbat Peh. And Mishnayis Be'iyun, which means in depth, is the classic text to do it with. You see? I have a question, but... Um, sure. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. Okay. You were saying that um, when we do a mitzvah, a sefirah is connected to it. And the yes. creation of that force won't be revealed to us until Mashiach comes. That's right. So is that, in a sense, like, you know when they say when Mashiach comes, people will be on different levels and will be connected to Hashem differently according to what we do in this world? Yes. So is, yes. It, is it really, is that what, because each mitzvah has a different illumination, it's like a different... Uh, exactly, exactly. Or whatever, we'll, we'll be able to see more uh, in the next world yes. through these illum- illuminations? Yes. Each mitzvah has its own illumination of the sefirot. You see. And that is, by the way, one of the reasons why God wants the Jews to learn Mishnayis. Because He wants all the Jews to receive all the illuminations of the sefirot. So, if they learn Mishnayot, you see, then they will receive all of the illuminations. Because not only will they have learned the entire Torah, they will have done the entire mitzvot. You see, that's another reason why he wants Mishnayot. Because that's the only way, since a person will receive the illuminations only of what he learned and practice, then God wants every Jew to learn to be able to receive the illumination of the totality of all the sefirot. You see, and that's why that's another uh, reason why we see why Mishnayot is so important. You see? So he's not going to bring the Mashiach until we are elevated to learning more Mishnayot. Yes, correct. Okay. I hold that's the rehabilitation. God wants to rehabilitate the Jews. You know, when somebody's sick, for instance, in a hospital, right? He can't just go from the hospital to his house. It's got to go to rehabilitation, whatever that is, physical rehabilitation, whatever. You see, same idea. You can't take uh, a people that know nothing, never did mitzvot, which is the majority of the Jews today. You can't expose them to an incredible kiddushah, which is the light of the sefirot. It'll kill them. So then how do we get to them? So that's, so that's what I'm saying. That's where we your map is. I understand. Well, the map could solve that problem. That is true. Yeah. 
But the main idea is that the Midrash, that's what lays away the foundation of the whole concept. That Mishnayot is critical for the Gula. That's what he says. You see? Which is amazing. That he doesn't say Bishvil Gemara. You see? How do you get to those people that, are, that know nothing? How do, you, how do we get to them? I'll tell you, you know, it says, V'eshpoich ruchi al-kolboso. In the end of time, God says, I will pour out my spirit. Right? But I'll tell you how it can happen. It's really a combination. It's a combination that God has to pour out his spirit and get everybody enthusiastic. You remember, in the, it says in the Navi, and on that day will, there will be a famine. Right? Yes. And a thirst. Yes. And the Torah says, it will not be a famine for food, right, for bread, for lechem, and for drink, it will be a famine to know the word of God. Now, we don't know what, how that's going to happen, but something's going to happen where all of a sudden everybody's going to want to learn Torah. And, but it's going to happen miraculously. We're not dealing here with an ordinary circumstance, you see. And that's what it says in the Navi. That on that day, there will be an unbelievable hunger, not for bread, but to know the Word of God. Now, the way it's going to happen is God says, I will pour out my Spirit, right, on all flesh. And what that means is that this is beyond Teva, the Mailamina Teva. That all of a sudden, there will enter in the world a tremendous spiritual sort of like a spiritual spirit, you know, and all of a sudden everybody's going to become interested in spirituality, you see. And besides, there is a way to do that. You know how? I'll tell you how. It's called the pyramid method. What is the pyramid method? A pyramid is what? It begins at a point on the top, right? And then it spreads down on four sides? Yes? That's a pyramid. Now, right now, there are hundreds of thousands of Jews that are Bali Tshuva. And almost all of them know very little, like I said. Because they cannot make up for the lost time. But what happens if you're able to teach all of these people Mishnayot? And each one of them, after even a half a year, doesn't require even two years, will know an incredible amount Guess what? That means you will have introduced a whole different mastery of the oral law to hundreds of thousands of Balichuva. Think about that. Lubavitch has 4,000 shlichim, 4,000 agents around the world. Now, how do they teach them? They don't, because they don't know how to do this. But imagine each one has a synagogue. It has a Jewish center. And connected to each Jewish center can be 50, 10, 50, 100 Jews. Imagine if you recruited Lubavitch, where this entire curriculum could be brought out to the entire Lubavitch movement. That means automatically you would have hundreds of thousands of Jews experiencing the totality of Torah in two years. Then you have an organization in Israel called Leviachim. And they have thousands of people who they go and teach. 
So they have thousands. Then you have a thing called Arachim. You heard of Arachim, right? No. Well, Arachim is a whole organization that deals with Bali Tshuva. And they have thousands and thousands of people. But their problem is, how do they make them a Talmud Chochem? So you would go to them. In other words, there are enough Bali Tshuva yeshivas, you see. And there are enough people who are connected with Jews, not all the Jews, hundreds of thousands of Jews that are dying to become Tamidi Chachomim. Now, so imagine if you are able to make them Tamidi Chachomim with the whole concept of a Mishnaic map. So all of a sudden you would have a half a million Jews that are unbelievable Tamidi Chachomim. Then they themselves would go and speak to their friends. It would pyramid. You see? Because the interesting thing is that there are enough people now to satisfy the requirement, you see, where Jews would become interested. The problem is it takes 35 years to become a Talmud Chochem, you see? So most people themselves are, in a certain sense, turned off. What are they going to tell a guy? Come with me and learn? Yeah, okay, I'll learn. How many years will it take? 35. Who's going to invest 35 years in any field? But what happens if there was a way to do it in just a couple of years? And what happens, and, there's, and that there's enough people out there that would be dying to know the Torah. If they're already out there waiting, but there's no solution. And to tell them to go to a yeshiva and sit there for the next 20, 30 years, that's not an answer. So therefore, by starting with what you have now and building on that, then your three, four, five hundred thousand Jews would multiply you see? And together with the Eshperich Ruch al Kolbosa, where God would send down a spirit, and that is what the redemption is about, then the wherewithal for every Jew to learn and become a massive Talmud Chacham. And therefore, all of them would be uh, subject to the illumination of every Sphira. Could you imagine what that would do for the Jewish people? But this is how you could do it. Did you do you see? What? Do any of them are completed? Uh, well, some of them are near completion. But you, but you have to remember one thing. The problem is I'm a loner. I'm the only guy doing it. You see? Because believe it or not, most people cannot synthesize. They cannot organize. Especially when it comes to knowledge. You see, people are taught to analyze. Analyze means to break down an idea into its parts. So people can do that because they're taught analysis. But people are not taught synthesis, which is to put things together. You see? In other words, if I give you an idea and I tell you to analyze it, you know, a lot of people can do that because that's what they've been taught. But what happens if I give you a detail and I tell you, well, tell me, figure out the general principle... Most people are lost. They can't do it. They cannot reverse that because they're not trained to do it. So the problem then is, that, you know, basically I'm the only guy doing it. And, so and for me to do it, I would need a certain amount of, uh, it's like you need a team, you know, to be able to do it. You, you know? People, where are you going to find them? I, I don't have a problem finding people. The, the, the real problem is money, funding, because you have to pay people, you see.
Uh, so that's the real problem, is funding. Rabbi? Yeah. How much do you need? I can't hear you. What? How much do you need? How much funding would I need? It's an interesting question. Well, I, I, it would be an entire setup of a team of people, you know, different people at different stages uh, being involved. It's like Art Scroll. Every time Art Scroll comes out, there are 50 people involved in producing one Gemara. I don't know if you know that. We think that Art Scroll comes out, no big deal. No, I once spoke to them. They, it, 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 there's a whole team of guys. There are editors. There, there are coordinators. You know, there are people who proofread, and then there are people who have to write and so on. You know, uh, they, they can have a team of fifty guys working on one gemara. You know, and therefore, obviously, it's a funding problem. You know, so what Art School has become basically is a translation company. You know, I'm not talking about translation. I'm talking about revamping and creating a textbook, you know, based on the Mishnayot that looks like a map. And that takes time. To help you? What was that? Did you go to the rabbis? Unfortunately, that does not help. Because okay. they, don't, they don't... Look, I, I, I don't, I don't want to speak in any way negative, but... This project. Most people don't understand the problem in yeshivot, you know, and, they, and, they, and, they, and, they, and they're, they're stuck to what's called the Masura, which they think is the Masura, the tradition. People think that to do the best way, the traditional way, is to learn Gemara all day long. And what I say is, it's, it's certainly not, look how many people don't know what's going on in a yeshiva. Look how many years a guy can spend in a yeshiva, Right? A guy can be in his shiva for 20 years and he comes out hardly knowing anything. Why? Why is it a college can produce an engineer in five years? Teach the kids. That's the problem. What was that? If the teachers don't know it, how are they going to transmit it to the kids? Exactly. Young kids. But that's part of the problem. Because the text... Well, it's not only... The text that they're learning is misplaced. It should not be the text of a 10-year-old kid. Exactly. You see, so they don't understand this. Okay, this is the problem, you know. What's the number? What was that? What's How the number? What's, I, I'm not getting that, what? Money is it to finish this project? Your number, what's your number? Uh, oh, the number, well, to be realistic about it, I would imagine it requires several hundred thousand dollars because you have to pay people's salaries, you know. And then you have other things, you know, equipment or a place where you have and so on, you know. But the, basic, the biggest expense probably is people's salaries. So it would require a certain amount, you know, uh, you know, whatever, 100000 you know, whatever. Because that's what people want, you know, and so on, you know. Look, let me tell you something. Art Scroll, I once asked, Art Scroll has 73 volumes of the Art Scroll shots, Okay. Each volume cost $250,000. I know, because I once asked, uh, what's his name, the, one of the heads of Art Scroll. I was shocked. Each volume of one, each volume, not Gemara, each volume, some Gemara have more than one volume, like Shabbat has four volumes. Each one cost $250,000. And I know why. 
because they have to pay salaries, you know, and that's the problem. So, you know, um, they were able to do that, uh, you know. It all happened in 1976. Mayor Zalotowicz, who I knew personally, so he had this idea to translate the Gemara, Shas. And what he did is he went to Columbus, Ohio, and he met Mr. Schottenstein. This was 1976. And he presented the idea to Mr. Schottenstein, who, by the way, obviously was a multi-multi-millionaire, you know. So um, uh, he presented the idea, and after listening to Zlotowicz, who's the founder, he said to him, well, Rabbi, it sounds like a very interesting idea, but I don't really think I would go for it. Okay. So what did he do? Uh, she says, okay, thank you very much for the time. So Zelanowitz went down, he got into a taxi, and he was on his way to the airport to come back to New York. On the way back to the airport, right, uh, he gets a phone call on his cell phone, or whatever. And who is it? It's Schottenstein. Right? So Schottenstein says to him, you're on your way to the airport? By the way, I rethought the idea, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak more about it. So Zelanowicz turned around the taxi, you know, and he went back to the office, and he convinced Jerome Schottenstein to do the Schottenstein Shas, 73 volumes. So what did Mayor Zelanowicz ask him? Because he knew what it would cost. So it's a major, major project. So I heard Schottenstein gave him a check for $15 million. Yeah. And he was able to produce a great deal of the volumes. Now, once he had it going, then other people came on board. You see? So he was able to get the funding. Was that? You go speak to the Schottenstein guy. No, he's dead. Does he have a relative? Mm-hmm. I, I, I would imagine so, you know. Maybe his son wants to follow in his footsteps. Yeah. You see, but what, the, the difference is, which is important, is Archwell produces translations, even though they're very good. But the truth is, in order to really uplift everybody and make them into massive Tamid Chachomim, a translation won't do it. In many ways, you have to revamp create a, a new curriculum based on Mishnayot. It's called Mishnaic Maps. That's what can do it. Because it presents the material in a completely different way. Super organized. You see. see so there's I... a big difference in terms of what they've done. You know? I'll see, I'll see if I could speak to a couple of people for you, Rabbi. Yeah, well, yeah, I would be willing to speak to people, tell them the idea. Listen, it, it would launch a revolution. That's what it would do, you know. Because the tragedy is, listen, I've given, you know, really hundreds of shurim to so many different people. And it is tragic to speak to a guy who's been in learning for 20 years. And when you speak to him, you realize he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a very poor thinker, and he doesn't remember anything. I said, could you imagine if the colleges produced this type of person? And I know why. Because all they teach him is Gemara with no introduction, no basis, no Mishnayot. So of course he's learning advanced text. You see? That's the reason. 
And the, the, the tragedy is that, is that this continues. But in any case, you know, look. But I see that you came and it's coming in the right time. Well, it may be the right time, but it, the problem is it's, it's, I don't have the right people to speak to. I've presented this idea to many people, but it's always been rejected for different reasons. One person says, well, you know, with the Masurahs, you have to learn Gemara all day long, and you've got to start at 10 years old. So what am I to argue with this guy? And some... What? It reminds me of what you're teaching us. It's like you have so much to teach, but you can't. It's like, I feel like maybe it's the Pikita that now you could start to unleash your things, to let people know what you, you have. Well, it requires a person who is really wealthy, right, number one. Number two, who has tremendous amount of vision. He's able to see what it could be. 